You're listening to Comedy Central. May 6, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. kicking off his new world tour this week. Eddie Izzard is joining us, everybody. Also on tonight's show, Roy Wood Jr. steals Trump's lunch money, Game of Thrones travels into the future, and we'll find out which lucky country gets to go to war with America. But first, <laughs> let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with some big news about a little baby. It's a boy for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. People across Britain are celebrating the new baby who arrived past his due date. Megan and myself had a baby boy um, early this morning, a very healthy boy. Um, mother and baby are doing incredibly well. Um, it's been the most amazing experience I can ever um, possibly imagine. Um, how any woman does what they do is beyond comprehension, but. We're both absolutely thrilled. Yes, congratulations to the royal family. This is such an exciting moment for them and also for those two horse doctors who uh, (laughs) apparently delivered the baby. Good work, you two, good work. And you know what, let me just say, it was really nice to hear Prince Harry talking with such admiration for what Meghan went through, you know? Because you realize, not only did he just watch his wife give birth, that's probably the first time Harry's seen a royal family member perform labor of any kind. He's like, Megan, Megan was doing this thing called sweating, and I'd, I'd never heard of it, but the doctor says it's quite normal. <laughs> now, uh, since the new baby is biracial, there's been a lot of debate over what his name should be, right? Some people are saying he should have a traditional royal name, but black people want his name that, affr- like a name that reflects his African roots, you know? And I, I don't know what it's gonna be, but I think there should be a compromise. I think they should give him a boring white name but then he gets to pronounce it with black flavor. (laughs) Yeah. That way, when he's with, like, his boring white friends, he can be like, hello, my name is Charles. But then when he's black, people be like, hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Charles. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What's going on, y'all? What's going on? All right, but let's move on. While British royalty is celebrating good news, America's royalty is celebrating a milestone of their own. Now to a first in the world of beauty pageants. Last night, North Carolina's Chesley Crist won the Miss USA title. For the first time ever, African-American women now wear the crowns of the country's three biggest pageants, Miss USA, Miss Teen USA, and Miss America. Yes. Three. Three black beauty queens. That's amazing. That really is amazing. You know what, there's three? Finally. America is officially more horny than racist. (laughs) It is cool that America's pageants are embracing a more inclusive idea of beauty, you know, because it makes a difference. Although, if you are very woke, you're probably conflicted by this story. Because it is beautiful to see representation, but it is still a beauty pageant, which many people consider problematic. So, how do you feel, you know? It would be like finding out that there's an all-woman terrorist group, yeah? (laughs) On the one hand, it'd be like, I hate terrorists, but on the other hand, it's like, you go, girls. (laughs) 
But still, this is really good news. So congratulations to all of these winners, and this is great for America, although now I worry about the backlash because we've seen this story before. The winners are black this year, <laughs> and then next year, the winners will be the three most racist women you've ever seen. <laughs> be like, I'm Miss KKK, and my talent is blackface. <laughs> all right, let's move on from a historic victory <laughs> to a victory that was taken away, the Kentucky Derby. It's the biggest competition to see how weird Americans can dress. And also, <laughs> horses run at the same time. And this year's race was even more exciting than most. We're gonna begin this half hour with a stunning twist in the Kentucky Derby. For the first time in the race's 145-year history, the horse that crossed the finish line first was disqualified for interference. And Country House, a 65-to-1 long shot, crowned the champion. While one horse and his jockey celebrated what they thought was a Kentucky Derby win, two of the opposing jockeys were filing objections, claiming the winning horse should be disqualified. The drama played out live on television. The crowd was waiting through an agonizing 22-minute review, all before they finally declared the 65-to-1 long shot, Country House, as Derby champion. Wow. I did not realize there were so many rules to horse racing. And you know who else didn't know that? The horses. <laughs> horses are not aware of most rules. It's, it's one of the reasons horses aren't allowed in strip clubs. They, they don't respect the no touching rule. <laughs> and you know who I feel bad for? Is the people who bet on the first horse, right? The horse that won and then got disqualified because 22 minutes is a long time to think you've won a lot of money. <laughs> Like, you know, there was some dude at the bar who was like, yeah, drinks on me. I'm buying a Ferrari. Carol, it's me. Let's get married, baby. We're just going, what? Dis disqualify? Uh, I think you got the wrong number. Bye. <laughs> and finally, moving on to some entertainment news, Game of Thrones. Last week, yeah, last week, people complained that the episode was so dark they couldn't see anything. This week, people are complaining that they saw too much. Eagle-eyed Game of Thrones viewers spotted something out of place in Winterfell. Yes, that appears to be someone's Starbucks cup in the shot. The cup is now a trending topic on Twitter. Is Starbucks everywhere? Oh, shit. Forget the White Walkers, the white gentrifiers are coming. Next thing you know, a one bedroom in Winterfell is like three grand. Shit, that's probably why there's only three black people in the whole show. We all got priced out. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I love this so much. Like, I just feel bad for the intern who screwed up. Yeah, because knowing Game of Thrones, that intern is definitely getting his head chopped off. That's how it goes. <laughs> also, also, why do we assume that this is a mistake? Huh? Why are people angry? They don't have Starbucks in Westeros. Oh, you're telling me you can believe in a world where dragons are real, but a to-go cup is too crazy for you? <laughs> it's called the power of imagination, okay? <laughs> and another thing is, that, that isn't even the first time that Game of Thrones has used product placement. It's normal. Like, remember that scene from last season? to today's top story. <laughs> America hasn't been involved in a war for years now. I mean, unless you count Afghanistan and Iraq and Yemen. And like 11 other countries, America has military operations in right now, but that's not like a war, war. Right? Unless you live there, then it's a war, but not if you're from here. Anyway, now, <laughs> it feels like America is inching closer to an official war 
with any number of different countries. So we thought we should take a look at which countries could win that honor in our brand new segment, America's Next Top Battle. First up, Iran, America's nemesis and this year's 195th most popular spring break destination. <laughs> Tensions have been rising with Iran ever since President Trump reneged on the nuclear deal. And now it looks like things may be reaching a breaking point. Breaking overnight, the U.S. is sending an aircraft carrier and Air Force bombers to the Middle East in response to a potential threat from Iran. Officials believe Iran or its third-party proxies have been planning an attack on U.S. forces in the region. The USS Abraham Lincoln strike group is now heading to the region. National Security Advisor John Bolton releasing a statement overnight that any attack on United States interests or on those of our allies will be met with unrelenting force. Wow unrelenting force. Yeah, that is a major threat and an intense Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> now, this threat didn't come directly from the president. It came from John Bolton, national security advisor and elderly Mario brother. <laughs> and although he says this action is about recent tensions, if you look at his record, you'll see that for over a decade, he's repeatedly called for America to bomb Iran. And 10 years is a long time to have a beef. Like, you realize 10 years ago, there were no Marvel movies about women. And now, there's one. <laughs> now, experts warn that America bombing Iran would be really bad, right? Because it could destabilize the entire Middle East. And the Middle East is already a pretty unstable place to begin with. It's like you're playing a tense game of Jenga, and then you pick the Hulk to make your next move. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, Hulk, I think if you pick the, the piece in the Hulk smash! <laughs> oh, that, that's why no one picks you on the team, Hulk. <laughs> So uh, congratulations, Iran. You might be America's next top battle, but don't celebrate just yet because there's another strong contender in the race. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says all options are on the table, including military action, when it comes to handling the unrest in Venezuela. The president has been crystal clear. Military action is possible. If that's what's required, that's what the United States will do. We want the Venezuelan people not to have interference from any country, whether it's China or Russia. You now have Iranians on the ground in Venezuela. The United States wants all other countries out of this nation. You know what I love about America? Is that it's the only country that's willing to meddle in Venezuela to make sure that no one meddles in Venezuela. <laughs> like, America reminds me of that guy at the bar who sees other guys hitting on a woman. He's like, hey, guys, back off. Can't you see she's not interested? Hey, I'm sorry about all these douchebags. Uh, <laughs> you, wanna, you wanna get out of here? <laughs> Will America's next war be with Iran or Venezuela? Well, it might be neither. Because right now, Donald Trump is threatening another war over trade with China. Trade trouble this morning. The president threatening to jack up tariffs on Chinese goods and add new tariffs. Trump threatening to uh, increase tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese goods to 25% from 10% starting this Friday, and he warned he could tax nearly all of the roughly $500 billion of Chinese exports to the U.S. The Wall Street Journal reporting China is now considering pulling out of those talks. Yes, two days before China was coming to negotiate at the White House, Trump has jeopardized everything by threatening a new round of tariffs. And his argument is that he's doing this to punish China for taking advantage of America. But the truth is his tariffs are going to hurt American consumers first. So this is a weird tactic, you know? 
It would be like if Braveheart was like, if we want to defeat the English, we have to stab Gregory. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, what? What, what, why me? It'd be like, don't worry, Greg, it's a tactic I learned from Art of the Deal. <laughs> now be a good lad and hand me my Starbucks cup. <laughs> so. <laughs> so who's gonna be America's next top battle? Iran? China or Venezuela. Well, with President Trump in charge, I wouldn't be shocked if it ends up being all three. We'll be right back. My guest tonight is a comedian, actor, and political activist who kicks off his North American leg of his Wunderbar world tour this week. Please welcome Eddie Azard. <laughs> welcome to the show, Eddie. Thank you. How are you? I am very good. You're I... looking good. Well, I'm quite, I do this running thing, which um, um, I, you know, I've said this through, I tell people that I've run, because I've run these marathons before, but now I keep it going, I keep it topped up with HIIT, high intensity interval training. Right. So you sprint, recover, sprint, recover, just like tigers do, sprint, recover, <laughs> or lions in Africa, sprint, recover. And that's, that's what we used to do as human beings when we were wild, now we're more domesticated, cake and television, and uh, so... <laughs> We don't do so much of that. But, you know, all the good sports people, you know, in, in the big sports, like right. your football, our football, everyone's yes. football, sprint, recover, sprint, recover. Right. And that is the healthy stuff for you. So kids, do that. <laughs> be, be like a tiger. Yeah, be like a tiger. Let's talk about the marathons for a bit. Um, a, a lot of people may not know this about you, but you, you genuinely have run more marathons than most human beings will ever in their lifetimes. In fact, I remember when you came to South Africa to run... 27 marathons in 27 days in honor of Nelson Mandela's 27 years in prison. And... And I remember, like, seeing that as a South African, and I was like, wow, this is a little excessive. Um, <laughs> I was like, just, like, just remember him. Just hashtag... Hashtag, we remember you. I didn't do enough at the time. I didn't, you know, I was a student at the time. Well, apartheid obviously went on for a long time. I just didn't, I, I didn't eat the fruit and that was it. And I just thought that's not enough. So I thought maybe I can make it up. Yes. And an Invictus uh, poem, which I knew meant a lot to him. There was the film. Yes, yes, and yes. I, and when I heard about the film and my dad said, you know, that was a Nelson Mandela poem. That's where it came from. And I thought, okay, I know where I'm next gonna run. Because... But you almost died doing this. Uh, technically. Uh, <laughs> well, you see, my, my willpower, I, I got rhabdomyolysis. I tried in 2012 and got rhabdomyolysis, which is not fun. I went back in 2016 and they couldn't work out my bloods and, and, and my hydration, right? So day four was in hospital, day five was in hospital. Yes. Uh, in, in, Eastern, in East London, in yes. Eastern Cape. And a very cool nephrologist, which is a, a kidney expert, he, he this, this very cool black guy, and he's just saying, well, wh who are you? What are you doing? I'm doing this for Madiba. Why? You know, the sort yeah, of things Yeah, South Africans are like, why? Yeah, this guy was, <laughs> he was really cool. And he said, no, no, it's, your kidneys are fine. It's your, it's your hydration. That's the problem. We're gonna put three liters into you and you'll be peeing like a horse. 
I didn't pee once that night. So it because was of how dehydrated yeah, you were. Yeah, I was, I was really dehydrated. Yeah, but this is what I love. It's like you, you have this, you have this personality where you, when you, when you set your sights on something, it's almost like militaristic. You go, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to run 27 marathons. When you missed a marathon, you then ran two marathons the next day. On the last day. The on last, the, very, the very final day. That right. Was. Again, excessive. Um, <laughs> But, but this is who Eddie Izzard is. I mean, like, for, 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 for people who know and love your story, they, they love you because of that. You are somebody who's known for not just doing comedy, but for touring the world, doing comedy in... How many languages is it now? I remember when it was three. It's, and now? It's now four. I've added Spanish to it, but I'm, I'm learning it in Spanish. I do it in so, German. So, wait, so it's English, it was French. And German. German. I remember when... Yeah, in, in and, German, and we were there German, together, yeah, and yeah. then we, we met... We were both at the same comedy club. Eddie was testing his material downstairs, and then I was doing my show. And then Eddie came, and then you were like, oh, we're both here, this is so much fun. You're like, are you doing it in German? Then I was like, no. Why would I do it in German? <laughs> this, this, was, this was in Berlin, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, this was in this Berlin. Was in Berlin. And I was like, no. I was and, like, why? Why would I do that? And his dad spoke... Your dad yes. speaks German. And yeah, but, but, but why is that so important to you? Because you don't do it as a gimmick. It's, it's who you it, are. It's why? political. I mean, I, I want to stand as a member of parliament in my country from next year. Um, I've said this for nine years now that I was going to stand in 2020. And this is a, an underlying political thing. It's hands across borders. The, the, the astronauts said this from you know, either the Russians or the Americans. When they went up there, they looked back. There are no frontiers. We've made these frontiers. Right. And I'm going out and saying, this is a very key century, the 21st century. Uh, I'm doing my shows in French, German, Spanish, maybe Spanish, German, French kids, Russian kids, whatever they can think. Well, I'll try it in a different language. And yes. that just makes the melting pot melt because we are all human. We have spent so many wars about killing each other. We're all human beings. When you, do, when you do your comedy in another language, I mean, I, like, I, I don't do it ex as extensively as you do. I'll write a joke in another language. You do the whole show in another language, and yeah. you, then you, you, like, immerse yourself in that language. Do you think there's something in learning other languages that changes how you perceive people who speak another language? Not how you perceive. You just realize, hey, they're the same people as us because some of them laugh, some of them don't laugh, some of them go, this is rubbish. Some of them go, you know, <laughs> they just have the same quirks and, and things as us. We, we, we do tend to say the Germans are this, the French are that, the Chinese are this. They're not. They're all essentially human beings, yes. family, kids, a better life, uh, working hard. We need to make it a farewell to 7.5 billion people this century. And, and the melting pot, it, America was a great melting pot. It, it's made this great country and we need to make the world a melting pot. And, and I I feel that we've either got to be brave and curious or fearful and suspicious. And I'm trying to be brave and curious. You, you are doing that. Like, you're doing it on another level, because... I remember years ago when we met, and, and this, this is one of the people who genuinely is one of the reasons that I'm sitting here today, because Eddie was kind enough to present my show and my comedy in Edinburgh, which, I mean, blew me up, because people were like, well, if Eddie, Eddie vouches for you, then, I mean, we'll let you in. Um, actually, one of my... The funniest moments was we were taking a photo together. I don't know if you remember this. This was in Edinburgh. And we, we knew each other, but we weren't, like, close friends. And Eddie's standing next to me in the picture, and we're standing there, and everyone's taking pictures of us together. And then Eddie says out of the corner of his mouth, he says, you better not kill someone or do some crazy shit. <laughs> because now I'm tied to you forever. <laughs> I don't actually remember saying that. <laughs> but what I 
what I do remember thinking is, I want to encourage young people to go on and uh, young people younger than myself to go on and be successful, not too successful. <laughs> and you have you're on the borderline of being too successful. <laughs> this is rather annoying. <laughs> no, but, but but let's but let's talk about let's talk a little bit more about the Eddie Izzard going into politics because you have spoken about it for a long time. You're yeah. not one of those people who just like saw Trump and was like, oh, that looks easy. No, no you you you've said <laughs> no, you've said for for like, as you said almost a decade. I want to get into politics. Why politics? Why why would you go into that world that seems so messy, especially in the UK with Brexit and what's going on? Well, anywhere, anywhere in the world. I'm a radical moderate. I do radical things with a moderate message. I came out as transgender 34 years ago. I'm performing in four languages. I've run over 80 marathons for charity now. So I, I, that's what I bring to the table. I think most moderates don't go into politics because yes. it seems too evil, too, too brutal. Is probably a better word than evil. It's just brutal in there. And if you think about what people have said to me negatively for being transgender, I don't think they can say anything in politics that's going to top that. Right. So I'm already battle-hardened for that. I've campaigned in, in numerous different campaigns uh, back in Britain. Um, and I think you need to have three things to do to, be politi uh, to do politics. You need to have a vision for the future. My vision is a fair world for 7.5 billion people. I think you need to be able to communicate. Hopefully my comedy gives me the ability to do that. Right. Analyze and communicate. And you need to be able to look at systems and, and work out what systems that you should keep, what you should change, and which ones you should completely throw away. Comedy isn't actually much good uh, uh, for politics, except for the light relief saying, I think this. The other people, they think that. And right. they're all silly buggers. Yes. And that's where you use your comedy for light relief, because it can get very uh, dry in the world of politics. Oh, I, I've noticed. Trust yes. me, I've noticed. And I, well, I, one thing I do, I do enjoy about your story as well is, is and, and this is something that I really, really uh, appreciate is, your, your story was really, was really tough for many years because here you were as a trans man who was living in this world where 30 years ago, it was, it was dangerous. You got beaten up, you were ridiculed everywhere you went. And I will never forget noticing how powerful um, your story and your impact were until one day I was walking in London. It was in uh, Piccadilly Circus. And there was a transgender man who was walking and dressed up and, you know, and a group of guys saw him and then they were like, they were like, oh man, look over there. Look, look at that asshole. And I turned and I saw it and then I was like, oh shit, it's gonna be like a thing. And the guy was like, oi, oi, oi. He's like, you, are you like Eddie Izzard? It's like, yeah, pretty cool, man. It's like Eddie Izzard, you do comedy. And the guy's like, no, I don't. He's like, oh. <laughs> Is that but, real? Is no, that for real, for real. And, and, and then, like, like, I've noticed there's, like, a, like, in London, it became, it just became, you, you had an impact on people that went beyond it. I, I know it sounds strange, but it just became, because people are familiar with it. I find a lot of the time in society, we are afraid of a thing that we do not know. And then when you become familiar with it, you start to see it as being more normal. Mo Salah is a good example in the UK, right? You have Mohammed Salah, this Muslim soccer player at Liverpool, becomes huge, and then all of a sudden they said, in Liverpool, Islamophobia was dropping, and little oh, kids wow. were like, oh, I wanna be Muslim also. And it's just like, that's, that's what it became. So, like, do you see that when you speak to people? Well, when I came out from South Africa, um, I've, I've got a film coming out at the end of the year, and my co-writer, Kellen Jones, he said, could you go to my daughter's school? Because they've been tracking the running in, in South Africa. And we went there, and 
they could talk about two things. I thought this was wonderful for me, just sitting at the back there, because the teacher could talk about racism, talk about Nelson Mandela's struggle against apartheid in South Africa. They could also talk about, because I was running with my nails painted um, and holding the South African flag, they could talk about being transgender, yes. and I'd done uh, some videos that had gone viral on that, and they, and they talk about self-identifying in the classroom. Younger kids were just saying one of them was identifying girl instead of boy, and uh, I thought that was beautiful. They could talk about sexuality, and they could talk about racism in the same thing and I do think marathons and wearing high heels for me has been a kind of interesting breakthrough because also very difficult on your feet both of them I know I mean I tend to take the heels off when I run the marathon <laughs> but people tend to give me a bit of a more well all right fair play all right if you're going to do that because uh, you know and it's it's the two things added together I did want to be in special forces when I was a kid this this can sound kind of crazy but I was planning this marines or paratroops and then go SAS I didn't know which war they'd sent me to so I was kind of slowed down on that one I wanted to do this creative stuff so I've tried to do this sort of civilian special forces that's right. what i've that's why i'm so military in, in the way i approach in the everything. way that you look at it the tour is rolling out to a large number of cities around the world you're going to be doing it in multiple languages one thing that i do find interesting is that as political as you are your show is never political your yeah. show is timeless it's 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 about history and it's about the future it's about space and it's about it's like one of the most complicated shows like the topics that your your thing is not like elevators your thing is like the space time continuum but also why, very why silly you, very silly yes, as but, well but why do you do that why why um, why not have the politics okay. and why politics dates it if, yes. if you're doing politics get it out of your show because it, you, when you do your videos <laughs> this is i i'm so, i gave you good advice before you, you t take the politics and, and make it uh, go macro on the politics. Right, right. So if I'm it's something you. about Trump now, then go macro on people who have been like him throughout history. Uh -huh. Go that way, because then it'll be timeless when they look at it in 10 years. They go, right. oh, this is still all relevant, as opposed to, oh, we, oh yeah, that guy did that. Oh, right Trump's there. still going to be around in 10 yeah. years. That's, but, uh... but <laughs> my, no, you've got a rule in America. Oh, uh, no, 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 not as president, but he's still going to be around. <laughs> Well, it's, that was my thing. I thought there's one practicality, which is just if you keep it uh, fluid, keep it out there like Monty Python, it can be timeless. Yes. And also, I'm too lazy to do play. I want to do, do comedy about politics when I'm in politics. That's essentially what I'm going to be doing when I'm going to say, I believe this, the other team, they're all idiots. <laughs> That's Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I love you so much and I appreciate you. The Wunderbar Tour starts May 8th in Nashville. For tickets to the shows, Go to EddieAzard.com. Eddie Azard, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at TheDailyShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.